Okay. Um, Arnold, can you open us in prayer, please? He really didn't like Nana walking out of the room, did he? Um, okay. There's a lot of people sick today. I've had messages. So I think that's why we've got big blank tables. Uh, let's, um, so we'll be in prayer for them. And Okay, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 7, please. Revelation chapter 7. Um, in the first half of... Revelation 7, uh, we have, um, yeah, it's my family this time. All right. Um, The first half of Revelation chapter 7, we have this uh, situation where John, uh, he's he's being, what's being described, he sees uh, this these four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. So he's got this, he's looking at what's happening on the earth, but, but this is also part of the whole section from chapter 4 all the way through to the end of chapter 7, which also continues to, to give us the, the authority of the throne room of God over the happenings on the earth, right? Over the happenings in the, in the world. So, uh, so we, so we kind of have this uh, amazing situation where where John is is seeing or sorry hearing this vision hearing hearing a description of 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel Um, and we've realized oh wow there's something more to this there's something more in the numbers there's something more in um in, in much of this, actually. So we talked about that last week. If you weren't here last week, please go and um, please go and have a uh, a listen to the recording on the on the website um, because it's too much to go over, and we've got to get into um, our lesson for today. But we're going to start at verse nine. We're in halfway through Revelation seven. We're going to start at verse nine this morning, verse nine, and uh, read through to the rest of. The chapter. Um, so, this will make it easy. You're right there. Read away. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every language. Chapter 7, okay. verse 9 onwards. Yeah, you're right. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders, and the four living creatures, 
And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Beautiful. Thanks, Trevor. Okay, so... Um, Last week I talked about what I'm convinced of, right? What I'm convinced of and suggested that as I tell you what I'm convinced of in these passages, um, and it's not just me, it's, 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 it's many, but um, we might be convinced of something that is different to what some other people are convinced of in these passages. I think I'm going to do my best to say I, I believe this is what the scripture is saying here. Um, but... Um, one of the things that convinces me, this is not sequential time, this is not a sequence of time, chronological order of time going on, is that at the end of chapter 6 there's a complete end. Uh, in this new vision, it's a, it's a new vision, then I saw, so it's not then as in this is what happened next, but then I saw, this, or then I heard, this is, uh, these are new visions taking place, and we're taken again back with four angels, four directions, the whole world, we're looking at what is happening in the, in the authority of the throne room and the whole world, uh, we see that there is a seal through this time, Those, there are people who are sealed, they're going to get through this time. Um, and, uh, and I said last week, I'm not convinced that this is a separate time for future tribulation sometime in the future. I think this is being written to a church to give them encouragement for what they are going through right there and then in their time, in uh, their own tribulation. And, then, uh, in, and, and we do too. Uh, these numbers are clearly symbolic, 12s, right? And 12s by 12s by 1,000, 144,000. And there are just so many irregularities in, these, in, in this list of the 144,000, it makes it totally problematic to see it as ethnic Israel. Um, uh, and one thing that um, I didn't put in last week, but I was reminded of and was thankful for it because it was in uh, much of my research, was that these numbers, notice, are equal. They're not numbered in different numbers. So when the people were coming into the promised land, they didn't come in in even numbers, right? Um, they came in this clan, this tribe had this place, and this is how many there are, and, and they were all different numbers. Well, this is all 12,000. There's all equal numbers, not different numbers, not different <coughs> clans, not different classes. Um, and so it's, it's symbolic with the whole. Um, so... Uh, look, so I'm just going to read a couple of verses out to you that show you this ongoing uh, symbolism of numbers in Revelation. Revelation 21, 12 to 14, I think we read this last week. It had a great high wall talking about this great New Jerusalem coming down. Twelve, 12 gates at the 
gates 12 angels. So you see 12s again, and on the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. 12, what city has 12 foundations, by the way? And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So you see the whole people of God represented in the whole New Jerusalem. Um, Revelation 21, 16 and 17. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. By the way, if you know what a stadia is, um, a stadia is something like... I, I. I'm having trouble remembering the exact measurement now, but it's something like um, uh, the Romans would take somewhere around 700 major steps or something like that, and it works out what? Just over 600 feet. There you go. And there, and there was... Um, so when you take that and you look at 12,000 of that, um, it's, it's something like 133,000 miles, okay? It's just, it's just huge. So these are... Uh, symbolic numbers and uh, and its wall 144 cubits by human measurement which is also an angel's measurement gives us an indication hey look this is a number that's a symbolic number so understand this well what's 12 by 12 144 it's the whole it's the whole of the 12 so so I think we consistently see the the use of 12 the use of a thousand in a multiplication of something that is great and huge um, and we, we, we see that. Now, we move on to verses 9 to 10. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So, so we see this. We, we got this, I heard, a description. This is really, really important, because we're going to see this through the uh, entire book of Revelation, uh, where you get, I looked or I saw and I heard. You're going to see, I saw and I heard. And and often they're explaining each other. You hear something and then you see it, or you see something and then you hear about it. Um, So you you have those instances within this book. Here we have an instance where we've just heard something um, with all all of its symbolic description, and then John looks and beholds it. He sees what it is, okay? And look at what he sees, what it is. Um, he sees a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. That's amazing. Um, so it's a great multitude, a great multitude from every, not just from every language, right? It's not one people distributed throughout the world that, that speak different languages, all right, or are in a, in a, living in a different name, lang, nation even, they're from a different tribe, from different tribes all together, all over the world, all tribes, tongues, and nations. So, if this is a list of 144,000 as a great multitude, no one can name number, from every tribe, tongue, and language, is it possible that this only consists of one type of people? It's not possible. Yeah, I believe it's not possible. Sam? This, this verb in verse 9, are you saying it's the same as the 144,000? 
I'm saying that I believe John is saying this is what he is looking at, yes. Yes, he's looking at a description. He's, he's had a description of the 144,000. Now he's seeing what it actually is. No, I don't think it is. I think it's the same group. It's the same group and uh, they're around the throne. There's a bigger description too because we're going to find out. There's also elders with them. There's also, sorry, angels with them and other people with them. Let's keep going on and we'll see that. Um, but I, I see this as a, a description of the same group. I think the language tells us that and I think the symbolic nature of the numbers and, and those sorts of things tell us that too. So of this and the language, every tribe, tongue and nation just kind of rules it out, right? Um, so this 144,000 great multitude that no one can number from every tribe, tongue and nation. Um, and so uh, the whole section and it's, it's part of the whole section from four to seven. So it keeps giving us a sense that this is all seen in the context of the throne room of God because there's lots of language in here that's consistent with chapter 4, chapter 5. Um, instances of uh, the vision are uh, the same as chapter 6. Um, so it's the context of the throne room of God in authority over everything that happens on the earth in his creation. And it's for churches of the day that are being written to that are representative of all the church, which includes us. So I'm saying this to you. I am convinced. I am convinced that this is for us. I am convinced, by the way, I, I want to say this to all of you in the room, I am consistently convinced that there is no part of Scripture that is, for, for, that is not for us. There is no part of Scripture that is not for us. All of Scripture is for us. Not a part of Scripture that, oh, this doesn't apply to you. Don't worry about it. Why is it there? Let's not care about it, right? Um, so they are clothed in white robes. How does anyone obtain white robes? Let me ask that question. Through, through Christ alone, right? What does white signify? We should know that. Purity, holiness. Is it our holiness? No, we've put on clothes. We're clothed in Christ's righteousness, aren't we? Um, so it's only through the blood of, the, of Christ. We're going to see that in a little while. And the redeemed have white, white robes in the sight of God. Because of Christ, you are clothed in white today. And in the purity and holiness of the righteousness of Christ. Um, and look at this, what they also have. They have palm branches in their hands. Um, let's think about what palm branches signify in the scriptures. And so um, uh, we'll, keep, we'll keep with the Brinkley flavour this morning. Robert, um, can you please read John chapter 12? Have a look at John chapter 12, verse 12 to 15. John chapter 12, verse 12 to 15. Just as it is written, 
Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's pole. That's, that's a glorious scene when you think about it. You know, Palm Sunday, Jesus coming into Jerusalem. It's a glorious scene. It's, by the way, it's also a devastating scene because here is a king coming into a city that rejects him. And later on you hear, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, right? Um, and so, so, but here is the king coming in and the people with palm branches and they might not understand what they're saying. They might not really have the right context of what they're asking for because they're yelling out Hosanna, which is a which is a word that is synonymous with praise. It's synonymous with praise God, but it actually literally means save us. Save us. Okay? Um, And so here is this King Jesus coming into Jerusalem to bring salvation with people with palm branches in their hands, waving them, saying save us, and uh, probably meaning praise Praise God. Now, look at the very next words of verse 10 in Revelation 7. And crying out with a loud voice. So they had palm branches in their hands. And what are they saying? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, literally, in the original language, by the way, there is an article in front of the word salvation. Um, It's not just salvation. It's the salvation. Right? It's a very particular salvation. It's not just a salvation of any kind. So I, I think it's, it's worth asking the question, what is the specific salvation being talked about here as it relates to the Father on the throne and to the Lamb who sits next to him as though slain? What's the particular salvation that we should have in mind here? Christ on the cross, specifically. Yep. Saving us from what? From sin and the wrath of God. Yeah. This is what we are saved from. This is the salvation. The salvation. Um, so it's, it's wonderful. I think you get this scene that um, kind of you know, gives us a, a representative. This is who Jesus is. He is the one who we cry out, save us to. And who is the king who comes to Jerusalem and, and saves us. Um, and so the only, so, and it's a particular salvation. It's not salvation, right, from the Roman Empire. It's not salvation, and surely the church, you know, in that day, still, you know, they're under the Roman Empire, being persecuted by the Roman Empire, is still, hey, no, there is the salvation, and the salvation that Jesus brought us is salvation from sin and the wrath of God, as Eric said. So this is a song of the redeemed. And it comes from, look at who it comes from, God and the Lamb. Now, here's a question. It comes from God and the Lamb. So we're told to see that specifically, right? Where does it not come from? Where does salvation not come from? Works. Yeah. There's none of our own righteousness in this, is there? I think in this, in this sentence, it's the salvation that comes from God and the Lamb. It doesn't come from anywhere else, okay? It's not from ourselves. It's not from brute force. It's not from our own righteousness, which we don't have. It's not from our works. This is, this is salvation is from 
God alone by grace alone, isn't it? It's only, it's only by God and it's only by grace. Now let's move, yeah. Um, I would suggest to you that we never suggest that he is not there. Even if the Holy Spirit is not specifically mentioned in a particular passage or sentence, whenever you have the Father and the Son, I, th- I, I think, given the rest of the teaching of Scripture, we should assume Father, Son, Holy Spirit every time this is a Trinitarian statement. Yeah. Um, okay. So... Uh, This is a song of the redeemed. So let's look at verse 11 and 12. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. And then there's all of these words of blessing. Look Look at this. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, uh, look at verse 11. So, so now we get this broad look and we see angels standing around the throne, elders and the four living creatures, right? So now we're looking at, at the throne room of, of heaven in this and... They fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. Um, who, who worships God? You've got elders, four living creatures, angels, all on their faces before the throne worshipping God. Who worships God? Yeah. All, everyone. Everyone. Um, everything. All of heaven and earth. So you have in this a picture of that, right? Heaven and earth. Heaven and what's happening on earth. And, and, and it's all under the authority of heaven and happening on earth. So um, everything worships God. Why are they worshipping God? Because of what we just talked about in, in the previous verse, right? Look at his salvation. Salvation belongs to, the God, to God and to the Lamb. They worship God because salvation is glorious. Is salvation glorious? Do you see it this way? When you see a picture, when you see a, 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 a picture of heaven and, and the celebration about what God has done in heaven, shouldn't that tug at our hearts and say, well, how, how do you view this? How do you look at this? How do you value this? Um, I just want to have another look at at. Another verse. Oggy, could you get Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. We know in, in Ephesians, right, in this book, Paul is, is writing in the first three chapters of Ephesians of all that we have in Christ and how amazing, how amazing the work of Christ, the work of salvation is, what, what, we, are, what we are given in Christ. And so um, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, Oggy. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. What Paul is doing there, he's, he's previously said, to me, though I'm the least of all the saints, this grace was given, right, of God to this, this gospel ministry was given to go out to the Jews and not only the Jews but to everyone which is Jews and Gentile because 
hey, Christ has broken down the wall of hostility. There's not two people. There's one people of God in Christ Jesus. And, and, and it's amazing. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. So, and he talks about it being a mystery. So amazing that here is the scope of this gospel mission ministry that we have. It's not just to Jews, but it's to Jews and to everyone, which is to Gentiles. And it's not just to Jews and Gentiles in this world. But what God does, he, he through the church, through the saved people of God, his wisdom is made manifest to, look at this, the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And they, and they, are, they wonder at it. And so I'm just asking us, as we see this and acknowledge what we have, can we please, please say, this is so glorious what Christ has done in saving his people, saving his church, that the throne room of heaven is glorifying God in wonder of it. I must never be complacent about it. Right? Please let us not be complacent uh, about our salvation. Then we're going to move on here and we're going to look at verse 13 to 16 as we... um, So I just wanted to... Oh, sorry. And and look, verse 12, sorry. They They say amen to this worship, right? Um... And they bring blessing to God. And and so they say amen and have all of these words of blessing. Now, look, I'm not into numerology. I don't go through the scriptures and count certain things and and words and say, oh, look at this, this must mean this, and then we can set a date for when Jesus comes and all of that sort of silliness, right? That's, That's silliness. But when we're in the book of Revelation, we know that numbers are incredibly symbolic and, and there's, there's certain things done for certain reasons. We have groups of threes, we have groups of fours, we have groups of sevens, we have groups of twelves. Quite, quite often in this book, I'm just going to ask you to do this. Count up, the number of, count up the number of blessing words that you have after amen. Seven. Seven. Don't we? Blessing. Wow. Saying amen, blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honour, power, might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Everything, in all of its completeness, in every blessing possible, in every way that we can attribute glory and wonder to God should be given to him in all glory and blessing for salvation. That's just amazing. Okay, now go to verse 13 to 16. Um, Lisette, can you read those to us again, please? Verse 13 to 16. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know, and he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he, he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. Okay. Um, so they come out of the. Who are these? So we get this. We get this question. We'll talk about the question in a little while, and then after that, we'll talk about you know the term great tribulation. We'll 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 talk about that for. For, for a bit there, but I want to get to there first. I just want, to, I just want us to remember something. 
Um, we're, we're, we're talking about these are these who come out of the Great Tribulation. I think that has a specific meaning, um, I'm, uh, and I want to tell you what I, I, I'm convinced of that, um, that being. Um, coming out of the Great Tribulation, just remember for a second, in, in Chapter 6, we have seen... Um, we have seen the world going through under the sovereign control of God. He's not, he doesn't lose control over what happens in the world, does he? In fact, everything is under his ordained will, right? We're, we're there, aren't we? And we saw that in chapter 6 very clearly. Um, we've seen famines and persecutions, death and financial troubles and, and all of those sorts of things that even the church goes through even while the gospel still goes forth, even while the white rider goes out. Um, remember also... In chapter 6, we saw that God was in total control, sovereign, over all nations. Both trials and tribulation and the, and, and the gospel are together, right, the, uh, with God in control of all things in the world. And remember one more thing. You might want to have a look at it in John chapter 1, verse 9. John says very clearly to the church that he's writing to, to the churches that he's writing to, that are representative that are churches in his time and are representative of the, of the church as a whole. There's seven of them. Um, so he's, he's told the church that he was a partner with, he, in his time, sitting in the Isle of Patmos, a partner with them in the tribulation. So John right there going through the tribulation, a partner with the church. And so I've just tried to make that point week in, week out, that the church does go through tribulation in this world. If we deny that, now one of the principles for me when it comes to eschatology and apocalyptic literature, which is kind of less clear, um, I'm not saying it's unclear or it can't be clear, this is God's word. If we don't understand it, it's our problem, right? Not God's. But um, it's... It's less clear to us than what is more clear in letters and gospels and and um, and those sorts of things. So I want to I want to have a look at the fact that we do go through tribulation. So I'm going to get some people to get some verses here. Um, Roseanne, could you please get John chapter sixteen verse thirty three? John chapter sixteen verse thirty three. Um, Bob. If you haven't met Bob yet, Bob, put your hand up. There's Bob. Meet Bob. His lovely wife is away this weekend, but they've been at our church for about, what, four weeks or something? Yeah, great to have you. So meet Bob today. Um, he's going to get Acts chapter 14, verse 22. Um, Amy Kerr, could you get Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5? Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5. Um, uh, Brittany Butterworth, could you get Romans chapter 8, verse 35? Romans 8, 35. And one last one, Ben Draper, could you get 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 and 13? 2 Timothy 3, verse 12 and 13. Okay. Um, John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have trouble and suffering. But take courage. I have conquered the world. Yeah, in some of your translations, we all also have, we have tribulation, but I have conquered the world. Uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 
22, talking about what is going to happen with what, what uh, is, is to be said to the churches, what, what the ministry to the churches is. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Okay. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions, because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Paul writing to the church in Rome, trying to encourage them. Uh, Romans eight thirty five. Notice that those things that are described with tribulation in Revelation 2, distress, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, right? That's the way that tribulation is described, is described right here in Romans chapter 8 for the Roman church. Um, And 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. There will be deception right there and then. Timothy is told to, by Paul to warn the church in Ephesus. There's, de- there's deceivers and they're going to go and you're going to think they're bad, but they're going to they're surprise you and be even worse than you think they are. <laughs> right? and, um, and so we, we have that. Um, all those warnings and more in the New Testament that are in very clear passages. Um, and now we've got this in the apocalyptic uh, literature. Um, so if you're in trial and suffering and hardship and tribulation, what do you want to know to give you hope? There's an end? Is that not true? Right? Isn't that why we go to doctors when we're sick? We want this sickness to end. We want there to be an end. We don't want it to go on forever. Right? We do want there to be an end. What I would suggest to you is that we want to come out of it. When you're going through tribulation in this world, do you want to come out of it? Yes, we want to come out of it. Um, So let's remember the audience of this letter. Seven churches as representative of the whole church in the tribulation of the world. Let's remember what they're going through, right? There's the trade guilds, cults that... You don't worship the way they do. You don't get to do business. You don't get to provide for your family. You're suffering. You're persecuted. There's killing of Christians going on. There's persecution against the church, hatred against the church. There's, it's, it's, it's difficult to manage all of, these, all of these things. Imagine that. And so that's the, that's the audience. And this is the purpose of the letter, to help this audience to persevere in the world. And what do they want to know? They can persevere in Christ because they will come out of this and Christ will give them victory. Is that not what you want to know, living in this world today? You'll come out of this. Whatever you're going through, you'll come out of this. Sam? Are you saying that this is not only Um, I'm saying that I don't think this passage um, is pointing to a 
particular time after a um, after a rapture of people out of it, I believe it's saying that we all go through tribulation. Is it possible that there is a, a heated time of tribulation prior to the return of Christ? Yeah, I think it's possible. Um, but I don't think this um, passage, I'm convinced that this passage is not talking about a um, post-rapture tribulation. So, um, so we, we get a twofold vision here. So let's have a look at this twofold vision. And let's keep the main point, right, that I think is for everybody reading this letter who's a Christian. Tribulation doesn't last forever, but the saints go on forever in the victory of Christ, right? Tribulation doesn't last forever, but the saints go on forever in the victory of Christ. So we get a twofold vision here. Christ in absolute victory of the cross as a slain lamb standing before the throne in heaven as one with authority over all that happens because he opens the scrolls. He determines all of, scripture, all of history. Amen. Yay. We see this. This is our Lord. Salvation belongs to God and the Lamb. We're in him. And we get a vision of the church before him having come out of the tribulation. So what we are told in this vision, we're answering a question here. What does not last forever? Sin. True. But in the context of this passage, what does not last forever? Tribulation. tribulation. Yeah. What does last forever? The word of God, his church. his church, Christ and his glory shared with his saints that he died for. Do you see that? Does that not help you right now? Does that not help you in your life right now? It's glorious. Now, I'll tell you what I, I'll tell you what I think. And, and, and look. Please understand. Go through, read it again, go back, read the previous chapters again, have a look at, at what we're saying here, see, see, you know, just see the word of God for itself outside of Stephen Ham's commentary, okay? Um, but I'm, I'm convinced that, that there is the tribulation being mentioned that John has already said he's partnering with the church in, right? The tribulation, he calls it. Um, but here it's got another word on it, which is great. Uh, I think it's possible that great here means, well, great definitely, um, uh, it, it comes from a, a Greek word that's like mega, okay? So mega is great, isn't it? <laughs> mega. Um, so, so great here, um, it, and it's talking about affliction, it's talking about persecution, it's great. Uh, it's a large one or a great one. I think it's talking about the expanse of it. It's a, great, it's a great time of tribulation, right? I think great here could be it's a large, expansive tribulation because it encompasses the entire time from Christ's ascension until he returns. It's a great tribulation. Um, and so, you know, and, and we're in it and we will come out of it. It's great because it feels like it'll never end. Because this is being written to a church who's under persecution. It feels, it feels sometimes like it'll never end. And I know it's great, right? But you will come out of it. You, you will not, this will not be for, forever for you. 
And so you need hope, and that's the point of this statement and the whole of this letter. So in the context of the letter, here is the main point. You will come out of tribulation. It will not overtake you. It will not be forever. Christ is the victor. Now imagine being a church in the first century under immense suffering. But imagine today, because sometimes it's hard for us Americans, um, and even me as an Oz-American, right? Sometimes it's hard for us because we don't suffer the same type of persecution or severity of persecution that some other people do. But, but we need to have a global understanding of this. This is talking about all tribes, tongues and nations. So we always need to have a global understanding. Imagine being a Christian in the heat of Nigeria where Islam is trying to rule and take over. Imagine in Pakistan. Imagine in North Korea. Okay? Because of the blood of Christ... We can say to those dear brothers and sisters, and to us as well, you will come out of this. Who will come out of this? Well, those who are, look at the words, they're washed their robes and made white in the blood of the Lamb. That's who will come out of it. Christians. Those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ because of his death and resurrection. They are also God's servants. And you see these words that are all about protection and sustaining, aren't they? They're protected and sustained by God, secured in God. That's uh, what the, the, the rest of those, that verse is saying. We're under God's ultimate protection and security in Christ. Let me ask you a question. Are you encouraged by that? To be under the eternal security and protection of Christ, are you encouraged by that? I, I am. Sorry. Um, yeah, except it's much better than, right? It's not just a ticket out of this. It's it's the glory and majesty and wonder of Christ in all of all all of it, right? An insurance policy only gives us back what we lose, but Jesus gives us eternal blessing. <laughs> And salvation and reconciliation with God. Um, and so lastly, um, uh, because, how does that happen? Because for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's one irony that we must see in here as we finish. We're going to nearly finish on time today. As we finish, there's one irony, Right? What is the lamb? The lamb is what in verse 17? Jesus. Hey? It is Jesus. Yes, it is Jesus, but what is the lamb? The lamb is a particular word in verse 17. I heard it over here, I think. Lamb's a shepherd. How on earth is the lamb a shepherd? How on earth is a lamb also a shepherd? Right? If you saw a flock of sheep and there was a lamb... Right? You'd say, how, that, that's, it's part of the sheep. But if you saw a lamb that somebody slaughtered and then it got back up and walked again, having overcome death and raised to life by its own power, I don't care who the shepherd was, that's what I'm following. Yeah? That's what I'm following. The lamb is a shepherd. The slaughtered lamb becomes the protector of the sheep and he will bring us through this life and into the next.
It's glorious. Now, all of that gives us a picture of a psalm. So what I'm going to do to just finish today is just hear this psalm and ask you to go home and think to yourselves. It was going to be a table discussion, but we don't have time. Go home and think to yourselves today uh, and this week, how does this psalm relate to what we've just heard and the words that we've just heard in Revelation chapter 7? Just listen to it. Turn to it with me because you all know it. Psalm chapter 23. The lamb is a shepherd and those who are with him coming out of tribulation into his glory to give us to give us perseverance in this world. Psalm 23. Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is that not is that not a description of Revelation 7? I think it is. So on that, um, Jerry Butterworth, would you close us in prayer, please?